0: It's really great to be here. I, uh, I love coming here. This is, uh, well, it's my privilege to be here for the third time. Uh, and it's one of the most beautiful buildings uh, that I ever preach in. But of course, the church isn't the building, the church is the people. And it's lovely to be with you, worshiping our God. So many of the songs earlier have been mentioning unity, how we can be united together in worshiping our God. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter three, and so do turn with me in your Bibles, or switch them on uh, to Ephesians chapter three, and we're going to be looking at verse 14 through to 21, which is an amazing prayer, or really prayer report of Paul, in which he reports the way he prays, and it's going to be very challenging to us. So let's look at Ephesians chapter three and verse 14. with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all what we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, I hear there's a sporting match on later today. Uh, I, I come from another culture, so I don't really know uh, so much about this, but, but I understand it's meant to be quite an important one. And there's lots of logistics that go on in relation to that. And there are lots of people who will be very excited. and I've been invited to someone's house to watch it with lots of other people. Because it's far more exciting to watch a sporting match with lots of other people than it is just to be sitting in your car looking at it on your phone, isn't it? Because it's more exciting to do things with other people. But then you have to think that to put on a sporting match like that, think of all the logistics that there are. Well, um, you've got to build the stadium, uh, then the the TV cameras, and not only do you have the camera crews, but all of the uh, back support that they have behind that. You have the tickets, you have the food. I mean, think of feeding all the crowd that are there. The entertainment, the policing, the parking, the merchandise, the advertising. All those people who've booked advertising slots. You've got to get the teams there. People flying in all sorts of things and then all of us on our TVs. It's a lot happening. But there'll be a lot of emotion. And it'll be really exciting, but it needs the logistics. Ephesians is about something that's far more exciting, but far bigger in logistics. Ephesians is about God's amazing plan announced in chapter 1 and verse 10 a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, that is Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And this wasn't just in a few months planning or years planning. This has taken all eternity to plan and every resource in heaven and on earth is put together logistically towards that aim. It is the biggest logistical thing ever to go on. It's also the most exciting. That's my summary of Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter two, it involves uniting. Jew and Gentile who previously were divided. And it involves making those who are dead alive. It talks about how there were these two groups and they were divided one from another. It talks about a wall that there was between them. The Jews could worship God in the temple, but there was a four and a half foot high wall there that divided them from the Gentiles. The Gentiles couldn't come over that. That's a pretty annoying height. It means you can look over, you can see what's going on on the inside, but you're excluded. There's one group that are citizens and one group that are are excluded. And you know what happens when you have that? You get enmity arising. And it talks about the enmity that there were between these two groups. Then it says, the blood of Christ, the most precious thing there is, broke down that wall and the two could approach God as one. So when we saw our prayer in chapter 3, verse 14, it begins with a phrase, for this reason. What is the reason for which he approaches God in prayer? For this reason, chapter 3, verse 14 is everything before in Ephesians. He's approaching God because God has this amazing plan which has been going from eternity past every resource in the universe put towards it to appoint Christ publicly head of everything and unite things under him. And part of his plan is adopting us as his children, making the two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, one. But when he begins the sentence in chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, he's actually had two attempts to start that sentence. Because you have to look back to chapter three, verse one, and you see the same phrase again. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna try and look really carefully at this text to understand what's going on. So I do hope you have got a Bible in front of you to follow this. He begins chapter three, verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he interrupts himself for 12 more verses before he then resumes for this reason so why does he do that well the interruption is really important and it's really deliberate we got to hear that why does he approach God well on the basis that God has a plan but look at the bizarre phrase in chapter 3 verse 1 God's got a great plan and here I am for this reason I Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus literally a prisoner of Christ Jesus Paul, that doesn't make any sense. If your God's got such a great plan, how come you're a prisoner? I mean, what sort of plan is that? You end up in prison. And anyway, you're a prisoner of the Romans. And you're calling yourself a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. I mean, one thing about being in prison, is pretty hard to get the message out, isn't it? So how can... God had this great plan to get the message out and there he is stuck in prison. And so the next verses, Paul's explains the special grace of God shown in Paul's life, which means he's in prison. So let's look at those verses. Chapter three and verse two. Assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me, my revelation as I've written briefly. Paul has got to know a mystery and that word mystery is really a word for secret and you hear about this the word comes up again in verse 4 verse 6 verse 9 that's a pretty important word here there's been a secret and Paul's been let into it what's the secret Verse 4. When you read this, you can see by insight into this mystery, this secret of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy prophets, uh, apostles, and prophets by the Spirit. What could the secret be that's been kept quiet for such a long time? Part of God's plan. What could it be? Verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Wow. Imagine you talk to one of the big figures in the Old Testament. Let's think of Moses. Have a conversation with Moses. Do you know, Moses, it's God's plan that the people of Israel are going to be united together with lots of other people. He was saying, no way. That is just no way. The whole message I've been getting from God all along is about us needing to be separate, distinct from the other nations. You talk to his brother Aaron, you have the same conversation. It wouldn't make any sense to them that God's plan all along, God's secret plan, which has only just been revealed, was that, look at these words in verse six that the Gentiles are to be fellow heirs. That's extraordinary. And then it goes on in verse seven of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the grace, uh, the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? The Gentiles are not plan B. They were the plan all along. God had a bigger plan than it even looked like he had. So it says, verse 10, So that through the church, that's the Jews and the Gentiles together, the manifold, the amazing, the variegated, the interesting the never boring wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him in faith so I ask you not to lose heart over the fact that I'm suffering for you which is your glory okay that's why he's in prison it's all part of the plan all along that is the introduction my friends to the prayer now let's look at the prayer for this reason i bow my knees before the father isn't that odd i have two kids they have asked me for many things over their lifetimes. They've never done so kneeling. (laughs) What about your kids? Do they kneel? Do you make them kneel? When you ask your parents for things, do you kneel? I bow my knees before the Father. Striking, isn't it? And in that phrase, we have so much epitomized, so much summarized, that when we approach God, we're approaching our Father, and we are approaching our King. Now, oftentimes, people like to have one of those. The intimacy of the Father, but forgetting the awe. Or people are overwhelmed by God's greatness and some awesomeness, but they forget. He's their father. But Ephesians has been telling us God has the huge plan to adopt us as his children, those who believe in Christ. So the point is the awesomeness and the fatherhood go absolutely together. We have an awesome father. Now, of course, when we read about a father, some of us will have had good fathers and some of us not so good and some downright bad. And some may have had good fathers that they lost early. So how are we to understand this? Well, what we've got to realize is God is the ultimate father. He is the good father. So if you did not have a good father, you need to recognize that what this is talking about is something different. And if you did have a good father, or do have a good father, you mustn't let that good father you have set limits on how good your heavenly father is this is the father it says in verse 15 from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named in other words all fatherhood ultimately goes back to him earthly fatherhood amongst humans amongst animals it's all in some sense modeled on him what is a father what what What's a father do? One of the words that you will find most often coming up with father in the Bible is the word give. Our father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Your heavenly father knows to give good gifts. Um, Chapter 15 of, of, of Luke The younger son comes to the father and says, give me my share of the inheritance. Look at the Old Testament, you'll see time and time again the word give, give, give. And that's the one that he's approaching. He's approaching on his knees his awesome father, the ultimate father, and asking him to give. Now, does this father have the capacity to give? Some fathers are poor, This father is so rich. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory. That's how much he's got. He has everything. And we approach a father who has everything. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What an amazing approach because he's approaching someone who can give I've um, sometimes done work approaching foundations and you know the way it is they're supposed to give away five percent of what they've got every year and so you, you you do your calculations and work out you know what sort of size and you know how much someone will be able to give but here we're dealing with the father who has the riches of his glory There's never a question of capacity. There's never a point at which they max out and say, well, I'm sorry, we don't give grants above that level. No. God's riches are infinite. That according to the riches of his glory, but what's the request? What could you request? He requests that they may be strengthened. That's a strange request, isn't it? The very first thing, that comes up on the list of things to pray for is that they would be strengthened. Now often we think of strength as outward, like bodybuilding or people who are powerful, executives or politicians. And strength is about exercising control over others. But often those who exercise control over others have no control over themselves. And here we see that there's a request that they will be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. So the number one request is for strength inside. Oh, and what is the strength for? The strength is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ is so immense that your heart needs to be strengthened by the spirit to receive him. Notice, by the way, he's coming to the Father, asking that they would have strength by the Spirit to receive the Son. That is the Trinity here, as in so many other verses, at work together. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, verse 17, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay, let's go through that. He asked for them to have strength so that they might know the love of Christ, be grounded in love, in order to have strength to comprehend the love. Now, let's get that right. Strength to be grounded in love, to have strength to comprehend the love. That's what it says, right? Wow, that seems complex. Why? Why did he put it like that? Let's go through it. We need to be strengthened to receive Christ. Why? Because his love's so strong. It's undiluted. You know, there are some substances you can't just drink neat. And to receive Christ's love, you've got to recognize this is is heavy stuff. This is strong. It says, so that you, if Christ dwells in your hearts, being rooted and grounded in love. What are the two pictures here? Rooted is a tree. Now, you think of, you know, not a flimsy tree, a really substantial tree. Before the modern era, there was actually nothing that could push over, nothing human that could push over a well-rooted tree. A really big, strong tree. You know, it didn't matter how many of you and your friends go to push that well-rooted tree over, it's not gonna go over. You could chop it down. You know, I've chopped down trees, but then the, the stump's still there but pushing a tree over. Wow. And then grounded, he's writing to Ephesus. Ephesus got temples. They've got big foundation stones. Grounded means founded. Jerusalem temple had a 500 ton stone. And we know that he's talking about how Christ's body is built up like a temple. Doesn't matter how many of your friends come along and try and push that stone, it's not going to budge. Christ's love is so strong that it absolutely roots you and grounds you, and you cannot be moved. So it says, He prays that you would have strength to be grounded, rooted, and grounded in love, so that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and head, uh, height, length and height and depth, that is, four dimensions. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ. How do you know the love of Christ? This is where it gets difficult and you are going to need some strength. Again, if you're watching the Super Bowl on your screen, on your phone, in your car, it's a little bit sad. Okay? Doing it with other people, more enjoyable. With the love of Christ, we can enjoy that individually. But what it says here is to try and grasp the breadth of the love of Christ, you need to do it with all the saints. You get a bigger vision of God's love when you're viewing it with others and knowing that God loves them too. And they see things and you see more. Now that's pretty awkward because let's face it, we don't actually like some of God's saints, do we? I mean, they're those awkward customers, you know, maybe sitting in the building, maybe they're in another building. And they're, they're awkward. They're difficult. We've fallen out with them. They've gone off and started another organization. Now, we need Christian union, unity to get more of a vision of God's love. To know that he likes that other group too. Really. but that's what it says that's painful that's why you need the strength to do it if you are splitting away from other Christians you're actually diminishing your own vision of God's love because sometimes when you know, one group of Christians splits from another we sort of expect the other group, the one we're not in, to like diminish, sometimes they do, but, you know, just everything's going to go worse. And then God, the Heavenly Father, blesses them and you. Oh, well, why don't you just bless us, you know, not them. And then, of course, comprehending with all the saints means that it's great when you have so many different cultures, so many different languages, so different ethnicities, different social backgrounds if you're just meeting with your social background you're missing out on some of the view of the love of Christ because the love of Christ needs to be viewed with everyone when we're missing out if we're not seeing it alongside others that we might have strength to comprehend with all the Saints it says what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge Okay, knowledge has gotten the word know, isn't it? How can you know what surpasses knowing? That's called a paradox. But just because we can't ever know all of the love of Christ doesn't mean we can't know any of it. And that's the amazing thing. You'll never stop going in in the exploration of the love of Christ. And then in the boldest phrase in this whole prayer, it says that you may be filmed with all the fullness of God. Well, if that weren't in the Bible, I'd struggle to believe it. Like, how can anyone be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, I mean, we know there's the TARDIS and like it's bigger on the inside than the outside and there's Mary Poppins' handbag and Hermione Granger, if you're that generation. And well, how can we humans, be filled with all the knowledge of God what, the, all, all the fullness of God well firstly this we've got to have unity as believers to perceive his love to be filled with all the fullness of God but the deal's this there will never come a point when there isn't more to experience and what's more it's all available for us because we are approaching the father who has the big plan to make Christ head of all things publicly and for us to be caught up in that So when we're, sometimes when you're asking someone for something, you're actually asking them to change their plans. I wonder if you could change your plans from this to that. But we're not asking God when we come to him to change his plans. We're asking him to perform his plan that he's putting every resource from all eternity into. So when we approach our father on our knees, he's willing to give. That's the father the he is. And so it ends like this, with a doxology. Verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Now let's just think about those phrases. Firstly, it says that God is able to do more than we ask or think. So whatever you've got in your mind, god got something bigger, right? Our conception of God is too small. God's bigger. But think about this. God does more than we ask or imagine. Well, at least it says he's able to. But does he actually? Yes, because it says, able to according to the power at work in us. We're not asking him to do something that's not already happening. He's already working in us. So we've got absolute confidence we're just asking him to keep going and to fulfil that plan. Able to do more than we imagine. Do you know, we've already got an illustration of that in Ephesians. Again, go back to that conversation with Aaron or Moses. For, For them, the thought that there would be people of every tribe, nation and language singing God's praises for all eternity, that would have been more than they could think or imagine. So God has done more than those Old Testament saints thought or imagined. But what's more, he always does that. The disciples, they were people of great faith. They were people of big vision. People often criticize the disciples, you know, the 12 disciples, and think, you know, they didn't do a very good job. But, you know, I look at them in the Gospels, and I think, wow, those are people of big vision because they believed that Jesus was so big that he could defeat the Romans and they were prepared to have a go for it. And then he was executed. And it seems like their plans had gone wrong. And there was Easter Saturday and they thought, this doesn't make any sense. We had this big vision of what Jesus could do defeating the Romans. We were prepared to take up our swords for that. And to think that you can take on the Romans, that is a huge vision. Because the Romans always win, right? Back then. They have their, their military might everywhere. And the very fact that the disciples were ready to say, I'm willing really to die for you. I'm willing really to take up my sword. They were people of great vision. And Easter Saturday came and it just seemed all to be disappointed. But you know what happened Easter Sunday morning? Christ rose. He's alive again. <laughs> He's defeated Sin. we're not the the puny Romans he defeated sin something far bigger he always did more than you thought or imagined whatever your conception of eternity is eternity with God I'm telling you this you've got it wrong because your vision is too small whatever God's planning in the future eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard it's going to be bigger, that's the way God always does it always. So to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be glory, and I love this phrase, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all ages forever and ever. Amen. There's an amazing passage in C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Aslan, the king, the lion, comes back and is turning lots of statues that the witch has turned into stone back into the animals that there are. And uh, they then get ready to go and and defeat uh, the witch. And there's this wonderful point when Aslan uses this phrase, we lions, about himself and a lion that's just an ordinary lion that he's just turned back out of stone. And he says this, Those who are good with their noses must come out in front with us lions to smell out where the battle is, look lively and sort yourselves. And with a great deal of bustle and cheering they did, the most pleased of the lot was the other lion, who kept running about everywhere, pretending to be very busy, but really in order to say to everyone, did you hear what he said? Us lions. That means him and me, us lions. That's what I like about Aslan. No side, no standoffishness, us lions. That means him and me. It says in this passage that glory should go to God in the church and in Christ Jesus. In that order. Isn't it stunning that God's got a plan to involve us? He doesn't need us. But he's chosen to use us. Are you feeling weak today? Are you feeling insignificant? God has a plan to use you to bring glory to himself. And it says that there will be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Sometimes a secret is really interesting until the moment it's out, it makes headlines for a few days, and then it's just old news and not interesting at all. But God's variegated, manifold, interesting plans will never get old. Every generation that goes by in eternity future, there'll be fresh and fresh marvels and interest in God's plan in the church. Angels will be marveling for what God did in your life forever. Right? Right? now to conclude who's the one we're coming to we have a father who is the king and a king who is the father we need to hold those two together and as we pray recognize there are no capacity blocks at all with god now that doesn't mean we get everything we want we might be thrown in prison. It was part of God's plan that Paul should be in prison. But know this, God's working out his plan to work through the church and it's going to be huge and it's going to be excited. Now some of you may not be Christian believers. Being a Christian believer is hard. It can be very hard. But there is nothing more exciting And the wonderful thing is this. It involves coming to the father who gives everything. Who gave his own son to die defeating sin. Taking our sin and our guilt away. Often as a child, you can feel guilty. That you haven't pleased adequately your father. Maybe you had a hard father and it never seemed possible to please him. God has made the way through Christ that we can all please Him because our sins are washed away. Christ's record of righteousness is put on us. And my friend, if you don't know that Father, I would say, come to Him today. There is no better thing to do. And for those of us who do know Him, let's avail ourselves of the fact that we can come and pray to Him, remembering we're not asking Him to change His plans. We're asking him to realize his plans according to his infinite riches and glory. Asking him to glorify himself through us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are our intimate and loving and caring Heavenly Father. And we pray for any here who do not know your father love and we just pray that you will show them who you are. I pray for any Christian believers who've been struggling to understand and accept your father love that they would know that love that surpasses knowledge And I pray that you would begin more and more to fill us with all of your fullness. We praise you that you are the great king. For Jesus' glory. Amen.